it didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket, it turned around and looked at me. They looked up and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop. He's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping. Their, their, their face is like twitching. back to Bigfoot Society. This is your host, Jeremiah Byron. Every week I talk to different people in the cryptozoology field. You never know who's going to be on next week. If you'd like to sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. You get access to a ton of things there, including a close-knit cryptid community on Discord where you can connect with like-minded cryptid researchers and enthusiasts, weekly bonus content, the ability to hang out with each week's guest after the main show, exclusive merch, and much, much more. Welcome back to an extra episode of the Bigfoot Society podcast. Every month I'll be doing a live YouTube episode, Bigfoot Society Live. And this month I had the uh, privilege of chatting with Tate Hieronymus and Ron Man Reed, uh, primarily about Tate's uh, upcoming documentary series, A Search for Sabe. We talk about everything... Uh, all over the board, and some really uh, fun questions from the YouTube audience uh, came up during the filming. So definitely uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Bigfoot Society YouTube channel in order to not miss out on those live experiences uh, once a month. But uh, sit back, relax, uh, and uh, we'll chat all about Tate and Ron's adventures through California, Washington, Idaho, and a little bit of my adventures uh, with Tate in Iowa as well. So thanks again for listening to the Bigfoot Society podcast and enjoy this interview. All right, Bigfoot Society, we've got a fun interview tonight. This is actually a uh, live show on YouTube. We're going to start doing those uh, once a month on YouTube. And I uh, see we've got a few people uh, r- here right now with us in the chat. If you've got any questions for uh, my guest, uh, we've got Ron Man Reed and we've got Tate Hieronymus, uh, uh, Bigfoot researchers. We were supposed to have uh, Jonathan Easley, but that's uh, that's all right. He had some work stuff come up at the last minute. So, uh, Scott, I see you're hanging out with us. Good to see you there, dude. Um, but uh, today's topic is we're going to be talking primarily about Tate is coming out with a uh, documentary called uh, Search for Sabe, and it's a four-part documentary series uh, about how he went through different locations throughout the U.S., and uh, he had some other uh, people with him at times. You know, I was with him for an episode. We'll talk about that. Uh, Ron, uh, who you may know from the group uh, Trailing Giants on Facebook, and he's got uh, some really cool Bigfoot uh, and hiking videos on YouTube. Uh, he was there for a few of the episodes as well. And just to shout out Jonathan as well, uh, guys, if you don't know Jonathan Easley, Western Bigfoot Exploration, 
definitely check out his channel out. You know, there's some solid, really, really good uh, Bigfoot documentaries on there about Bluff Creek and uh, Tate's channel as well. I'll have those all linked at the end. But um, how are we doing today, guys? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm just barely rolling out of bed here. Dude, I'm... <laughs> I'm so thankful that I know like life is crazy right now. Like Ron is working hard and I'm thankful you're here, dude. And Tate is just Tate. And like, <laughs> it's just me. And I went to the Iowa state fair yesterday with my family. So I felt like it got punched in the face 10 times. Cause Tate, you know how it gets like that fair just destroys you, but it's really fun. Right. Yeah, dude. It's, it's, it's <laughs> wild. Oh, whew, man. Like, uh, well, I don't even want to talk about it, but it's a good time. We'll we'll talk later. But uh, th- so just want to say it again. We got uh, this is a live show, but it'll also be uh, on the uh, Bigfoot Society podcast. But uh, if if people watching, you know, we're going to be talking about a search for Sabe, talking about you know Tate and Tate's adventures, Ron's adventures, and my adventures too, because I was involved with an episode of this. If you guys have questions, feel free to put them in the chat, and we'll work those in in the show. Um, but uh yeah, uh Tate, let's start with this. Like tell us a little bit about uh why why create this this documentary series and what's it all about? Uh I wanted to create it because I was bored. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the that's just the main gist, honestly. Um I was bored and I was like, oh, this sounds like fun. I want to do something. I and I want to grow my YouTube channel. So I was like, man. I've had a YouTube channel for years and I just want to just grow it. And I feel like when I made my last documentary, I got a lot of followers from it on YouTube. And so I was like, well, I, I like the subject. I like filmmaking. It's fun. So let's, let's do another series. And I wanted to go to Washington, which is a place I've never been before. And that mm-hmm. was my first time there. So that was really exciting. So I was like, well, let's just do it. <laughs> so, and then, uh, the name, I, I was listening to on the Patreon, on your Patreon. Yes. Someone mentioned that and they liked the fact that I had the name Sabe in there. So Sabe, I, I was watching Survivor Man Bigfoot and it was on the Willow Creek episode where he mentioned that he was in Manitoba, Canada. And I think the tribe up there, the name for Sasquatch or Bigfoot in that area is Sabe. And each animal in that, you know, seven, the seven teachings they have, each mm. animal represents a different attribute. One is like, um, strength or courage and Sabe Bigfoot represents honesty. So I was like, well, that's a good way to have two. It's a double meaning. So it has, I want to come about this documentary series, honestly, and have the name Bigfoot in it somehow. So I was like a search for Sabe. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. So that's kind of where I went with that. And I think that's, that's really important to, to point out Tate, because, you know, we won't get into any, you know, specifics or, but, you know, it's important to know that not everything you see on TV is a hundred percent accurate, but the thing that's really cool about Tate's series. And I learned this really hands-on because I was out there in the field with them is you don't have 70 Bigfoot things happen every day. It's a lot of it is you're being patient. You're, you're camping and you're waiting for that perfect moment. And I think we had some really cool stuff happen that, you know, we'll talk more about that later, but we got a a really important question here. First Tate Uh, Scott from Patreon says distracted by the base, hanging out behind (laughs) Tate. Is that a Rickenbacker? Uh, Yeah, it's a 1978 Rickenbacker. I'll 
since it's going to be on YouTube, it'll be shown. Bought it in Chicago. Nice. Has the cigarette burns around the headstock. Wow. Which is pretty cool. So that is very cool. So there you go, Scott. Now you know. Now you know the story of uh, Tate's uh, base. Uh, Ron, I got a question for you before we get into it. So, how was it that you got involved with going out in the field with this uh, this Tate character? What's the story behind there? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a uh, 2018. I was um, making my way out to you know do some long distance hiking. That was the the year that I first started using the the term trailing giants. Mm. Uh, I was. It was originally supposed to be a film, and I was going to hike the Bigfoot Trail, which is a long distance hiking trail out there in the Klamath region. And I got out there and and kind of got my butt kicked by the trail a few days in a row, and I ended up in Willow Creek. And you know, I wanted to make time to do a Bigfoot investigation because that was an important component of the film project was to also do some Sasquatch investigation. And uh, I I met. Steven Struford at Bigfoot books. And he mm-hmm. says, Hey, there's a, you know, these guys from the bluff Creek project and some other individuals are out camping at historic Klaus camp. You should go out there and try to catch a few of them. So I pulled up probably, what was it like 11 or midnight <laughs> it, it, or something it, it, well after dark and everyone was by the fire and this, yeah. this strange vehicle with a person and a dog rolls up in the darkness. And <laughs> there I was, and they were kind of sketched out at first, but then, uh, once I introduced myself and when I was there, you know, I was, I was a member of the camp and, and it was a great trip. You know, I got to meet Kip Morrill and, nice. and uh, Danny Perez and um, later Bobo came out and we, we followed up on some investigations of some encounters that had happened uh, in the years past. And we were checking them out seeing, you know, if we could rediscover some of these locations and it was awesome. And then from there, you know, it'd been, more been making more of an effort to get back out to the bluff creek area and i've been i guess two more two additional times after 2018 last year and this year and it's uh we think that it's still an area with lots of potential and some active goings on so that's um why we went back this year and glad we did that's awesome that is awesome um if you haven't heard, I, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Ron for Bigfoot Society. This is probably a year, year and a half ago, it feels like. It's been a while, but uh, definitely go back in the archives and, you know, check out my interview with Ron. And, you know, if you haven't, there I'm up to about number 72 with Tate. I'm just kidding. We've done a few. We've done a few chats and I appreciate you always coming on, dude. Um, <laughs> always a fun, Tate, a fun time with Tate for sure. Um, so let's, let's get into it. Um, well, actually, uh, before we do, uh, Tate, how did you meet Jonathan? Oh God, Jonathan. Um, he's not here, but let's, let's we'll, just, we'll uh, talk behind his back. We'll just there. do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, just, um, I, I met Jonathan. Well, you know, what's funny. I was on like Facebook scrolling through like videos, like the whole Bigfoot forms and all that kind of stuff on those groups. And I saw this weird video where it's like this guy got this strange audio from Laos camp. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until 20, it was 2020. Um, I went out to Bluff Creek and 
Jonathan and a few other people were out there and he's like, Oh, I'm gonna the guy that got the strange audio. And so the more I got to talk to him, I'm like, dude, this guy was not hoaxing anything. There's no mm. way. And then he was like really cool. And then we hung out and then I showed him my thermal video that I got. And then we, we went out to different areas in the Bluff Creek area and hit up and then kept in, you know, kept in touch. And then it kind of just went from there. And ever since then, the me and Ron and Jonathan have kind of been like uh, the three amigos. Pretty much. Yeah. There you go. Fantastic. And Hey, uh, the cool thing about the live shows is I welcome the crazy chaos. It, I don't think we're going to get crazy trolls like Alex Petikoff does. But hey, I saw, but, I saw. but why not give this question from Alex Petikoff to Tate? Uh, Tate, how long do you usually go squatching for? Is 15 minutes good? That's a, that's a valid question, dude. If only I could say bad words on this yeah. on YouTube. Don't make me edit. If, <laughs> if, if, if you're a veteran squatcher, that's, uh, that's all the time you need. If you're yeah. an area X, that's all the time you need. You get in, you get your proof, you get out. Yeah, yeah. No, if any longer than that, then you're just—it's overkill. <laughs> I once spent—I once spent half an hour out in the woods. Yeah, and uh, for 15 minutes, I didn't do anything. Yeah, that. that yeah, 15 minutes. Yeah, that's. Let's move on. But before we do, let's <laughs> let's put a little bit of a serious spin on it. So, like, let's say I'm headed out for a few days. What's the least amount of time you would probably recommend me go out for? One night? Two nights? What do you think? I think, well, as you'd learned. Yeah. I honestly think if you want to do, like, least nights like as possible because maybe, like, schedule scheduling or something. I would recommend two nights. Okay. At the least. What do you I think? Mean, what do you, yeah. Uh, you know what? I will say I've had a lot happen in a single overnight at, a, mm. at, a, um, at locations, you know? So if, if you can't afford lots of time or if you're on the road and you're, you got a, a six hour drive from destination a and destination B um, what I've learned is at least one night you're there overnight. You're the, the, the tone is kind of set. You have wind down hours. So you have your camping hours and, and you have an opportunity to lure things in. And then when you turn in, then you have an opportunity to drop your guard and have things test their mm. luck, so to speak. Yeah. And then you have that first morning light, you know, there's just, there's a large period of time just from sun down to sun up and animals are going to make their presence be known not always specifically Sasquatch, but you get an idea. You can take in a lot from a single overnight. As long as you make time either before nightfall or after to inspect the area, you can walk away with a lot of information for follow-up investigations. So use daylight to see what's around you and then use the night to let things check you out, so to speak. Um, what I have learned isn't enough is to go from one location and and spend a couple of hours squatching after dark and then give up and go to another location. Mm-hmm. You never really know the potential of an area if you're bouncing around from one camp to the next. I, I, I did that and um, overlooked uh, Mount Hood, and it took a couple of other additional trips to realize that there were areas with potential because I spent more time there. Um, and same thing with Bluff Creek, you know, we'd have our little 
areas that had a, a handful of sightings and we'd go there, we'd call for an hour, then we'd retreat back to Laos mm. camp and we wouldn't get anything. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, after doing this trip um, this year, you know, with Tate's project and Jonathan's project, all of our collective projects, we, we made sure that, you know, areas that had a reputation, we gave them each at least one night. And I think my understanding of those areas and our mutual understanding of, of these areas and their habitat potential and everything else is it's grown exponentially just because we took a full night instead of portion of a couple of hours or so. That's some solid advice, especially look around your surroundings in the daytime before, like that's exactly what Tate and I did. Well, I yeah, like, we were looking to, around to go along with Ron. Um, yeah. Like he said, Either either or works one or two nights. Both is good. Whatever you can manage. Um, and what Ron said is perfectly. It perfectly makes sense. And the whole Bluff Creek thing, when because like we had I don't know how many years we've been going up there, and we like Ron said we would start at Laos Camp as our main area, go out. But what people don't realize about Bluff Creek, yeah, maybe everything is in kind of that general area, but. To like drive from Laos camp to say one air like like one of these areas out there, it's a good thirty minutes sometimes mm. to an hour. Um, then that's one hour out, one hour back in. Then you gotta have the time to be squatching out there. So it's like it's, that's not a lot of time in retrospect, you gotcha. know, through a whole night. So that's where like we were like, dude, let's just camp at each spot. <laughs> let's. So we went to each spot in the whole Bluff Creek region, and there's a few spots we still haven't gotten to camp at um, mm. that I really want to go. But some of the main spots I really wanted to go, we did go. So that was really cool. Before we get uh, going into the different locations you went through, uh, I feel this is a, a good question to throw in here, too, at this point. Scott uh, from the Patreon says, what criteria do you look for in choosing a place to squatch? And I feel this could be really interesting from both of you, Tate. I don't know if you want to uh, start and then Ron can if put Ron his two cents to, in or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I I guess I've, I've become a little bit methodical about it, how I choose a spot. Typically square one is I just look up if I know I'm going to go to an area to do some hiking or if I'm kind of have a place in mind, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'll start with, I guess a, a case in point would be like, let's say I'm planning a Bigfoot trip to the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just go Bigfoot Adirondacks, Google it. And, and typically I'll get something from the BFRO. I'll deep dive the BFRO database, what's public. And um, then I start to try and corroborate that data with an additional sightings database. And so from there, I will look and see, okay, there's four or five sightings that are all coming out of the same town, wilderness, or river. Mm. And so that kind of helps me hone in on a a landmark or um, a local town. And so when I see those kind of clusters where the name drops, you know, you got a list of 12 sightings and you see out of four four to six of those it's the same town then i know okay instead of the entire adirondacks region and flying blind i'm now in this area that's known for bigfoot activity 
And even if half of those are BS, like there's still something there with those other half that have potential. So it's at that point, you're trying to, you know, you're doing a little bit of statistical analysis. From there, I have to admit to myself that we are on the fringe of wilderness mm. and that typically these sightings that happen, it's uh, out of a, a dynamic change in the environment. Uh, people are driving because there's a highway there. There's a, there's a, there's that. I guess overlapping of human habitat and Bigfoot habitat. Gotcha. And so I don't think that the potential is maximized where the encounters occur. I think it's typically maximized somewhere else. So the population, I guess, is in a, in a, in a different location. So then I start looking for water sources mm-hmm. and established trail networks to access some of the more remote areas. If I see a really biologically diverse um, national forest or something with, with prevalent streams and rivers, I kind of say that looks like an epicenter for not just Bigfoot habitat, but all local wildlife. Mm. And that's where I want to go to get the most understanding of what lives in these mountains and, you know, what, where, where Bigfoot's place is in it. And so, I try to deviate from, you know, the BFRO, like ground zero, go to the sightings location mentality, because in the past that hasn't really turned up a lot for me. Right. right. So you want to, you want to try to get to wherever they're coming from. Um, They're trickling out of the mountains and having encounters with people. And I think, you know, if you look at the layout and you, you try to find a watershed and follow up the creek, you know, you'll find the epicenter of, of that animal's range. Mm. It's a lot of good stuff there. Personally, I, I use uh, I use BigfootMap.com similar to that, but I like being able to see the visual. Uh, I was using that when uh, me and Tate were talking about setting up our uh, our expedition in Iowa. But Tate, do you have anything to, uh, to tag on to that? I think um, I do agree, like just because there's a site in an area doesn't mean that's going to be mm-hmm. or it's going to have activity. I mean, you could look at it this way. You like someone saw a deer right over here near the edge of town. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's where they're going to be frequent right. just because you saw one. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously it came from somewhere. So where did it come from? You got to look for where it came from. Where's the food source that the deer is using water source and stuff like that. So you kind of look for that. You can use it as a jumping off point of those sightings and, like okay, there's a sighting here now. Where near here is the food source, the water source, the cover? You know all that good stuff, um, and that's kind of what I would look for is just food and water. And then I like generally isolated areas because there's not a lot of people are going to be going into that area. Mm-hmm. So where there's less people, I think you have a better better chance of having something happen, just because you don't have like other campers or people bothering you or making noise where it's disrupting the peace. So I think that's kind of what I do. That's kind of what, that's a good way to do it. Uh, What Ron said too. So both ways, what him and I said, I think are really good ways to uh, an area. Perfect. Perfect. Before we, well, let's get into, should we start with the, with the, the Iowa expedition portion first? All right. Uh, I'm going to start out with, I'm actually going to, uh, share that little uh, teaser you sent over to me, Tate. Yeah, do it. All right. So we got, let me get it. So this is going to be a little 
It's a little clip that Tate sent me of the beginning of the Iowa episode, which will be premiering uh, end of uh, September. So here we go. When I think of, you know, when the normal person thinks of Iowa, you're thinking of flat cornfields, stuff like that. What we had to drive into uh, once we drove into the area, I mean, it really feels more like you're in a place like the Northwoods or like New England, uh, rolling, you know, pretty steep hills, tons of forest, uh, and a lot of a lot of animals out here too. So, yeah, I was I was surprised by what kind of terrain is out here. Could definitely see it as a place for you know Bigfoot and other things like that. Awesome. And I, I've seen the whole episode. I mean, I live the episode, but I've seen the whole episode <laughs> and Tate did a fantastic job. But let's talk about it, Tate. So why? And I think we talked earlier, you're going to ask me some questions along the way, but uh, why choose this area in Iowa? I'm, since you're the one that came up with where to go. Um, well, <laughs> well, like my whole Bigfooting career didn't really start until I was in California when mm-hmm. I moved out in that way, like 2015. And so, you know, once I kind of had more of like, once I really knew how to do Bigfooting and stuff, when I moved back to Iowa, you know, I kind of grew up listening to, like, I had friends that had sightings in Iowa and Missouri. So I was like, dude, they got to be here. And the more I learned about it, it's like, they can be anywhere. And so I did the whole Google, like, I was looking on Google Maps and mm-hmm. to see where's the forests that yep. have possible, you know, where's the, like, the really good areas? Where's the water? Okay, I know there's water here. There's, I know there's deer in Iowa for sure. That's oh, not yeah. a, that's no question. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So, it's I kind of just started going there and just kind of, you know, scouting it out and be like, dude, this area has it all. Honestly, it, this is say what you will, but Iowa definitely has the potential habitat to support an animal like a Bigfoot. I mean, it's not that far fetched if you think about it. No, it's not. Honestly, it's not because like, I mean, you'd be a fool to say bear don't travel through the state of Iowa. Yeah. And I really think they do. I mean, you got, you got them in Minnesota and you got mountain lions in Minnesota and there's been sightings of mountain lions in Minnesota. I think there's a museum that has like, like a, was it like a, a map or whatever of mountain lion sightings in the state? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's predators there for sure. So why not Bigfoot? And then using the BFRO context that I have um, a couple of people that I know in the North east part of the state of iowa they actually recorded some audio down in this area where we were at and so i was like dude i knew there's activity here i just never had it for myself but i know they're there yeah so going off that information i was like okay we should try this spot because i know they're gonna i know they're gonna be there it's just when are they gonna be there yep and it was it was crazy so you know, it was my first time going out uh, big footing, and Tate invited me to come along. And so we make the tr- we make the convoy trek to to the spot, and you know, um, it, it's out there. And then you get into the place, and you got to go even further out. And I was like, "Where in the world are we <laughs> going?" Like, you know, a solid. If I mean, 
it was on the dirt roads and then you get off like it got to the point where it was like going up and down hills and i was like man i feel like i'm back in you know new hampshire vermont or like western mass like it was crazy for iowa and we're way out there and like some crazy remote like you know boy scout whatever camp with no water and it i mean thankfully you know tate was prepared he had his uh he had his burgers ready to go i had my dehydrated food but uh he was like dude we're we got burgers don't worry and i was like oh this is great so <laughs> but I, I learned so much uh you know we we're out there for two days uh well two nights uh the first day was really hot 110 heat index that you know, was, was something cra- else you know it was crazy though it was hot in des moines but where we were I don't think it was nearly as hot because there was roads buckling. You said in Des Moines. Well, yeah. At that point, uh, the the West Des Moines Highway was buckling in multiple areas. Thankfully, in our uh, area we were at, we didn't have to worry about that. Uh, no, the roads don't buckle, I, but um, nope. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, I learned a lot. It was it was like going out in big footing, it's so much camping and waiting until the nighttime when it's game time and you're waiting and so many, so many good lessons. We, we heard some, some interesting things and, you know, Tate, I don't know how, how far we want to get into it, but, you know, we definitely, especially the second night when I had my recorder out there for, for the whole night, I got about five, six hours of audio, man. We were capturing some really interesting audio that's going to be revealed in that Iowa episode in uh, end of September. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think something I think is interesting for people to know is since it was your first time, mm-hmm. you had that Bigfoot on the brain where you thought, oh, I things, did. Totally. You thought a lot of things were Bigfoot. So you were like, yeah, asking me, you're like, "Hey, is this a Bigfoot or is that, <laughs> is that a Bigfoot yeah. or something?" And I'm like, "Eh, uh, I don't think it was." There was so the first night was really was really bad because I was like, Tate was like, "I'm gonna take a nap," and I was like, "Dude, what are you taking a nap for?" And I didn't realize like, "Hey, <laughs> if you're staying up late, you probably need to be taking naps to prepare." So I I was around the campfire and I was like we had cell service where we're at, which is weird. No water really had cell service. And I'm like looking at my phone, trying to like not think of other stuff. And, um, my mind started playing tricks on me. It was like, I thought I heard a knock, it, but we, it was, you know, there was, I think there was wind at that time, stuff like that. We pretty much decided at that one, it, it was kind of Bigfoot on the brain. I mean, it just shows you, like, it's not yeah. as easy as one person thinks, like, oh, this or that. No, like, as researchers, I mean, Ron can attest to it. I mean, you got to be listening. You almost have to be on your game, pretty much. It's not yeah. just camping. I mean, because you're also looking and listening for things. And you got to almost, you have to have a, a basic knowledge in wildlife, almost, Exactly. Because you're like, well, case in point, a buddy of mine just, you know, sent me some audio of something he thought was a mountain lion. Mm. And I listened to it. I was like, dude, that's a fox. Um, And I know that because I made the same mistake because I recorded one um, thinking it was a mountain lion that I made sure to ask just to make sure. And they said, yeah, that was a fox. Mm -hmm. So it's important to 
have a good understanding of the animals uh, that are out there, what noises they make. Exactly. I would say just like go on YouTube, honestly, and just listen to different animal sounds of animals that you know for sure in the area. Um, oh, yeah. And kind of get familiar, like, okay, well, that's this, that's that, that's whatever that is, you know. And there was a few times out there where we were at, we heard an owl that you thought was like, dude, this is. So I, I captured that in my night audio. And I thought after I heard it, I was like, dude, I, we found the next area X, but turns out that a barred owl sounds like a monkey at times, like it, yep. or this weird, like scream thing. And I was like, okay, well, there you go. That's why you spend the time researching the area you're going to be in and listening to all the animal noises, especially foxes can sound really weird too. Yeah. So it's definitely more um, involved than just mm-hmm. camping. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Um, any other uh, interesting things come to mind, Tate or uh, questions you would want to ask me about the, the whole Iowa uh, episode thing. So, yeah. Wh- so Ron, if you have any thoughts on that too, you can oh, yeah. feel free to Go ask. Ahead, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of something right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> As so, okay, for your first, you know, like your expectations going into it versus what you got out of it. What was that? Yeah. That, so that's a good, that's a really good question. So my main, my main uh, thing was not to actually, it was to be able to connect better with people I interview on the podcast, because I look at myself more as, you know, I'm in a way, a journalist, uh, not as much uh, a Bigfoot researcher, but I'm a journalist who talks to people in the field. And um, for that, that was a success because I thought of many different ways that I was able to relate to Bigfooters after just being there for two days, uh, you know, just going through it and realizing, hey, uh, you have to sit around a lot before you can get the action usually. So that was that was my main thing, but you know, stuff happened where I was like, you know, I wasn't expecting us to hear anything, honestly. But that Sunday night was weird, dude. I uh, mean, so like, I mean, did you did you think it were, did you think bigfooting required that much patience, or do you think it was a lot easier than that? Um, so I knew that it did, but there's something about when you're sitting in camp and just trying to keep yourself occupied for hours and hours that really drives home the point that there's patience and there's waiting involved. So that was a new experience for me as well. That's why I drink uh, during yeah. the day. <laughs> yes, you do. My friend, uh, Mike is here and Mike says, yo, what's up? So Mike Casey, Mike. good to see you. Uh, why not? Hey, Gilbert says, Tate, are you related to Bob Hieronymus? Why not? We'll just throw that out there. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, absolutely not. Thanks, Gilbert, so much. It's spelled differently, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bob, so my name, you can see it right here. Yeah. On the spelling. Bob Hieronymus is H-E-I-R-O-N-I-M-U-S. There's no Y. Sorry, bud. Better luck next time. <laughs> weird, weird coincidence. I get it all the time. But it's, yeah. I, I, I do give you uh, props for asking that. It's a... I actually enjoy it when people ask it. It's pretty funny. It's funny stuff. Yeah. All right. Good question to any other uh, questions for me, guys. Come on, Ron. Ron's on fumes right now. It's all right, bud. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm trying to think. So you obviously kind of had different expectations going into mm-hmm. it versus 
what happened, more of a patience game realizing. Did you like obviously let's talk about Bigfoot on the brain real quickly. You said yeah. you had Bigfoot on the brain. How much did that play in a factor your first time out? Because it's different for everybody. I mean, because you've grew, you've like interviewed a ton of people talking about experiences in the woods. And so did you probably look back on those interviews trying to like help with the whole Bigfoot on the brain? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is just, you have to be, you have to get out there. And then I felt like my viewpoint kind of switching when I was past the first day and like after the first night and like that initial, like, okay, Tate's in the truck. It's me in the tent. Hopefully something doesn't come like knocking on the tent door. Right. Uh, but after that, I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, just kind of chill out a little bit and not everything in the woods you hear right now is a Bigfoot. And then, you know, uh, we had some good chats about that as well. But I think once I got past that initial day, like, you know, things were a little bit uh, better in that regard. So. And then obviously, obviously you realize like, even if there was like the craziest encounter, nothing's going to kill you. Cause right. If that was the case, Ron would be dead. I'd be dead. John oh, totally. Dead. Yeah. Bobo cliff, everybody that we know yep. would probably be not here anymore. So totally. I mean, obviously these things are around and if they wanted to kill you, they would, but they don't. So they were around, dude. <laughs> Ron, did you have something to say, Ron? Uh, yeah, I um, I just wanted to ask you if you'd ever been camping prior to this, and and how did this Bigfoot trip kind of hit different? Yeah, that's like going in knowing that you were going to do an investigation. Like it's 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 like for me, it's it's. I'll touch base on it after you comment, but okay. it's it's almost like a a camping trip, but then mm-hmm. plus. Yes. So yes. how did it how did it feel for you going and saying I'm not just putting up a tent. Mm-hmm. and spending the night i'm um, i'm doing something different you know so ron um i grew up uh really involved i grew up in western mass really involved with like hiking and camping outdoors but like me and my father um we've hiked the the appalachian trail in all of massachusetts and connecticut um uh, so but what we usually would do is we would do uh hammock camping so we would put up hammocks between trees, but the difference is, so one, I was in high school. Now I'm pushing 40. So that's a little different. So it's been about a good 20 years since I busted out the hiking stuff. But the difference that I noticed is when you're hiking and there's no Bigfoot involved, you're just focusing on let's get to camp. Let's set up camp. Let's eat. Then we go to bed. When you put Bigfooting into the mix, it's all that and more because then when you get past all that stuff, then it's game time and then the crazy stuff could happen. So you're kind of like, you got to do all that camping stuff, but then you're getting amped up until, okay, this is when the stuff could actually happen. Yeah. So it's it's double, dude, for real. I can see that. <laughs> I, I do have see this that. feeling like when you're... When you're heading into a camping area, you're thinking, oh, I'm, you know, it's a retreat. I'm, I don't have to work for a few days. You know, I might go swimming in a lake or uh, I'm going to break out the fishing pole and catch some fish. But I do like going to an area that I've had experiences in, in the past or going to a new area that has this level of 
of like legendary status. It's, I get that feeling like, I feel like I'm, um, the, the crew of the, um, the ship going to skull Island, you know, I get that very like, okay, we're about to make a big discovery or we're about to be in the middle of, you know, uncharted territory, uh, essentially. And, um, sometimes that, that feeling kind of goes away, you know, when I go and assess the area in real time, but then other times, like I, I come out of that area being like, absolutely. We, mm. we, we had an encounter with King Kong, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, I, I totally get that. Cause like after I spent hours and hours going over that audio, there was some stuff, you know, that comes out in that episode. And I was like, it made there were a few days afterwards i was like i can't explain what i heard and i'm gonna be trying to explain that for the rest of my life like seriously it just it it puts questions in your head and you're like i don't know how to explain this dude welcome to the club yeah welcome to that's what tate was saying he's like that's how it is good luck man um (laughs) there's some good questions in the comments yeah i am getting to let's see so i'm gonna leave gilbert's for later um Let's do this. Scott says, how many episodes are planned for search for Sabe and what will the release schedule be? So, um, episode one is Iowa. That comes out September 20th. California is November 20. Was it, is that right? November, September, November. Yeah. You were going to put it on the the anniversary. Yeah. So September 20th is Iowa. October 20th is California. Mm Mm-hmm. November 20th is Washington. Um, and then last but not least, December, Idaho is, you know, December nice. 20th. So from here on out to the end of the end of the year, four episodes. So I think uh, that was, that was a good little, little chat about Iowa, unless we had some, some more we wanted to throw in, but I think we're, we're good to, to move on. What do we think guys? Um, I will put a little, little plug in here. Uh, if you want to hear more about the Iowa trip, I've we've got I've got a ton of stuff in patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. There's an interview, me and Tate chatted uh, in the field. We've got an in the field interview, and we're gonna have some sound analysis. I'm gonna have some sound analysis uh, in there from what I recorded after Tate releases the episode. So there's there's that. Um, but let's let's talk about California is next. So tell me. Uh, if what you can tell me about where did you guys go in California? What we have going on there? So there's one area I can't say the name. Okay. Um, but we I call it No Go Valley. Uh, that was one of the areas. It's when I go to Bluff Creek each year. I always try to go to Onion Lake, Laren Meadow, or the No Go Valley. You know, and so like kind of what Ron was saying earlier, we wanted to camp at each of these spots um, instead of just going there for a few hours. So we ended up camping at Nogo Valley, which is like a huge thing I wanted to do always since going there. And then mm. I've never got to camp at, uh, you know, like um, Onion Lake. So we wanted to go there. Okay. Um, Laird Meadow, that was another place we wanted to go camp at. So um, that was a lot of fun to do that. And so we got to cross it off on the bucket list. And I think that's going to be a cool part of the episode. That's awesome. So that was, so that's a pretty big deal going to this one the first time for you going to this one area, the, the, uh, the Valley area sounds well, like. I've, I've been there before. Okay. I just, we've never camped there. I've oh, been, right. Yep. We would drive to that spot. Like I've been 
I've driven there several times, but like I said, it was just it's so far from camp. Even Alex in the chat can attest to it, and Ron too. It's it's far <laughs> to drive out there because those roads in the Bluff Creek area, you can get a flat tire so easy. So you don't want to drive fast. You have to drive slow. That's why it takes so long. Um, exactly. So if you do get a flat, it just multiplies that time. <laughs> so that's why it takes so long. So that eats up so much of your time. And then when you get out there, you're there for the rest of the night and you come back at sunrise. So that happened to us last year um, with Alex and Eli and Ron and Jonathan. It was like the sun was coming up and we got back at five in the morning. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um. Was that a thing where you guys uh, were meeting at a certain point or was uh, Tate doing stuff, Ron doing stuff in a different area? Or were you pretty much uh, together for uh, that whole area or whole time? Uh, we, we pretty much stayed course the whole time, I believe. Okay. I, I wanted to get out a little bit earlier to follow up on an area. Mm-hmm. Um, the first day I had hiked the Bigfoot Trail, I had had a pretty unusual circumstance happen with what I thought was a stump at dusk and Hmm. it seemed to get up and move and I couldn't relocate it. And that was under poor visual conditions. So I got out a few days early and um, I had spent uh, the night at that location before grouping with Tate and some other people at the Bluff Creek project um, trying to follow up, re, try to recreate that visual effect and um, investigate that area a little bit further. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> that was an interesting adventure in and of itself, but probably a story for another day. Um, <laughs> but then, um, yeah, we, we grouped up after that and pretty, pretty much stayed together from there all the way through Iowa where we split off, he went and grouped oh, okay. with you, and I had to get back to Wisconsin. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think that was the longest we've camped in Bluff Creek. Was it 10 days, 11 wow. days? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the longest I can Half a month? No, not half a month. That's that's Third a month. Third a month. Yeah. It's still a long time. It um, is, yeah. And even, you know, Bluff Creek's such a huge area. Even 10 days is not, not a lot of time for that whole area. Because, you know, we were there for the first three days waiting on everybody else to join us. Mm. And, you know, that took some time out. So you and I left with so much time left to go to these areas. Um, And it was unusual weather, too, the first three days. It was raining and cold. Yeah. Like, this is uh, October weather, not July weather. (laughs) Did you notice anything uh, different about the area because you were there for such an extended period of time? as opposed to previous years. Mm, I don't, I wouldn't save. Okay. Save. I, I think we, we had more opportunities to see wildlife. Okay. Um, we were there a little bit longer and drive, driving roads, staying active each day and each evening. And as a result, we, we saw a few bears and we did see deer. I mean, you expect to see those animals out there. They're pretty mm-hmm. common. Um, we kept seeing, or hearing of the Martins out oh, there, yeah. the hum- Humboldt Martins, or or otherwise, unless we're misidentifying them, if there's pine martins up there too. I think I think they were saying it's pine martins. Yeah, the uh, but they 
but they caught some. We we had a group, another group of big footers that go out around that mm. time of year, and they were catching them on trail cameras. And we caught a couple of them. We caught one on a dash cam, and then saw a second oh, one cool. off the side of the road. Um, so yeah, definitely just we were able to see more wildlife and then also just getting out there and spending more than a couple of hours in the dark at a place like Laird Meadow. We did several meadow walks okay. and would find a little bit more Each of, um, strange uh, sign out there that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about in, in the, the series, but then also just a lot of animal sign too. Um, of course it was a different pattern of weather like tate was saying it's usually dry and the the rainfall doesn't really come till the fall and so laird meadow had a bunch of standing water in it, it and was the, that it available was... water source probably like was um it it brought a bunch of fresh animal activity a lot of life to mm. that area and i think last year it was a little less active in terms of animals in general just because it, it was a dry grassy meadow but now yeah. there's ponds out there you know where tadpoles are are growing into frogs and um there was snakes all over the oh, we man. were seeing like yeah of snakes. yeah it was a whole whole different um environment it, it, it was, was just because the rain pattern shifted hmm. it, that it was it was a whole yeah like Ron said it's a different environment when it's rainy it's uh, and what's crazy too is this time I mean yeah we wanted to go to these other areas but I think Ron kind of made a point I I was agreeing with him on that I was like yeah we should make Laird Meadow our main focus this mm. trip so I mean we went to check these other areas out but we spent more most of our time in Laird Meadow. Okay. I think due to the fact that what we had last year, the activity that we had with Alex and uh, Alex and I, um, we're like, dude, if if they're going to be here again, it might be in this area, especially with all the water there. And it's a nice open area. And it's good for hunting too. Um, and the area itself has a history regardless, just from over the years. So we kind of, we really attacked Laird Meadow pretty hard this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. One thing uh, I appreciate you about you guys is, um, you know, you're always trying unique, u- unique things in the field. You know, uh, I believe Ron, you've tried, uh, you were the one that tried uh didgeridoo once, correct? Yeah. And uh, Tate was the one who pioneered uh, using a, a drone with a pheromone chip hanging from it. Correct. I still, yes. I believe that. That's 100%. right. That's right. We'll leave it at that. But um so was this time uh, anything uh, cool or unique that you guys tried out in the field or um we didn't watch the movie we didn't watch any movie this time um <laughs> not a yeah not at bluff creek we we ended up employing a a projector and screen out at um bumping uh, lake bumping but lake. we had uh, a bunch of great ideas i i took a risk and brought a ps5 oh man we were going to hook up to a projector <laughs> and play a game called Ancestors, the Humankind yes. Odyssey. It's kind of like an Assassin's Creed kind of type game where you're like a an ancient relic hominid oh, trying wow. to survive a hostile like <laughs> um, period in the Miocene or Pleistocene epics. And I think it's Miocene. But um, 
And and we just didn't get around to doing that. We would we'd get so tired after setting up camp or <laughs> or surveying certain areas. It was just too elaborate to put up the PlayStation to the projector and set up the screen. screen it's like a, it's like a so many batteries. step process, and it always seemed like we couldn't find one HDMI cord or something like that. But I'm going to do that eventually. I'm going to do it up here in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. I'm going to play an ape man game to try and lure in an ape man. We just didn't get around to that part, but we used a lot of light projectors and lasers and stuff. You want to tell them about that? Yeah, we had, um, I don't have it with me, but I have like this little ball that has like different colored lights. I I showed you that. (laughs) (laughs) We put that up and then Ron had this really cool, like laser thing that would play music and it like kind of goes with it. The music and like laser shoot out is pretty cool. So we did that. Um, we we got some interesting stuff not from the lights in general but um i think bluff creek is going to be a pretty cool episode because nice we had some weird stuff happen and then obviously we goof we were goofing off and we had fun as one does when there's it's in the middle of the day and you're doing nothing (laughs) yeah there's room for some some goofing off for sure i can attest to that so for those who are interested, we made some funny videos. I'll post later. Is that gonna? What is that gonna be on your YouTube tape? I think so. Okay, yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> I yeah, they're hilarious. I might just give them to Ron so he can post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we head on over to the next leg of the trip, uh, are there any other uh, things we would want to know about California or? Maybe save the rest for the episode. What do you think, Tate? I will say we found some interesting stuff in California. Okay. Okay. I know that. I don't want to. I don't want to like reveal anything at this point. You know, for the integrity of you know the the story and and uh, but I think it was probably my most active like leg of squatching. You know, like we we pulled like triple threat of of good enticing evidence and it wasn't you know it, it it seemed like some things lacked in quality but i, I can't it's hard it's hard to say but it's just mm-hmm. you know without saying too much but um it was it was extremely good i think you know to have such a variety of things and, and we did our our due diligence. And we said, okay, could this be something else? You know, that mm. sound that we heard, you know, what was that? And, and it was in conjunction with something that we found. I, like yeah, what, I, what, could I, I it, was... what could it have possibly been? Could it have been two yeah. unrelated things. And, and we just went through that process of trying to debunk a lot of this stuff and explain mm-hmm. it away. And the further, we got into it the harder it was to do that with any degree of absolution so gotcha um, I, agree. I, w- I will say that's like the thing about year. bigfooting is you know you think you find tracks or you think you catch something on audio mm-hmm. or you think you find something interesting and you if you start if you take a step back and you look at it and say look i'm in an active yep. area where bears and mountain lions and people and horses and mice and everything else comes through is it really a Bigfoot? Um, and I think this was one of the hardest trips to explain away Sasquatch wow. as, as a conclusion of some sort of some of the stuff we found. Cause we didn't just 
come across one little nugget of interesting thing. It was lots of things that were kind of all coming out of Bluff Creek. It was like, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like last year was different because we had activity, but we didn't find much Ah. as far as evidence. And this year we had activity with finding evidence. Oh man. So dude, um, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like, like Ron said, it's hard to really know. I mean, obviously there was weird things that happened and then we found stuff to mm-hmm. go along with it. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard to say, but I, yeah. All <laughs> right. Well, Hey, what Ron that, said, it sounds like we definitely want to, uh, I know I want to check out that, uh, that California episode for sure, but let's head on up to, uh, where, where did we head in Washington? What was the next step? Bumping Lake. Oh, that was. Hey, should we tell about our car incidences, Ron? Uh, I was yeah, gonna leave that car. up to, to you guys if you wanted to. If you I, want to throw, I, it I don't want to go into cool, detail. We'll just we'll just tell them my you car sure got what totaled. You want to. <laughs> my, yeah. my car got totaled out of California. Did not survive the treacherous road conditions out there. Ugh. And um, be careful, guys, when you go to California. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then, then I was in a rental car, uh, with front wheel drive, trying to go up into some remote oh, <laughs> mountain roads in Bunting Lake. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes. everything worked out. I got a, I got a vehicle that can handle Bluff Creek a little bit better now, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a trip, dude. It was, uh. Yeah, I was I was trying to figure out rental car options, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they were going to do with my my former vehicle. Um and that vehicle was a legend. It got me everywhere. Um so RIP so uh 2014 <laughs> Ford Escape Titanium Ooh. Edition color red. Um you piece. did great things and I'm glad you went out like a warrior in Valhalla and not like <laughs> a little punk punk uh sedan, you know, yeah. on a local highway or something. Not there like a go. smart car. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So you Prius. went up. You went up to Bumping Lake. Now Bumping Lake is a pretty. It's a hot spot for for Bigfoot up there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't. Ron, did you hear Tristan tell me he's like, yeah, you piss some people off saying you're going to Bumping Lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it, it? But I don't know. I, to me, it didn't seem like it was a hidden gem. That's what they were saying. Like, yeah, people know about it. Already. It's not. If I know about it, it's not a hidden gem. No. Yeah. Um, and then the thing that surprised me about Bumping Lake was, you know, I had this expectation of it being really isolated or whatever, maybe these certain spot, spots of these campgrounds. But when we got there, there was people driving in every day, every hour, every minute. Really? Oh my god. Yeah, Man. there were parking lots to the lake, the boat access that were like they were filling up. And then there's primitive campgrounds where we were, and there's people in Jeeps and, like, dirt bikes driving by all day. And I'm thinking, we are literally probably five miles away from the boat dock, and there's people camping everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And I was, like, thinking, I don't, I can't really say to him, like, in my opinion, I don't know. I don't have enough of an opinion of the place to give you an honest representation of it. But I'm like thinking, how does this place have this much activity? <laughs> mm. 
it's weird, but people swear by it. People that I know and trust, they swear by it, that they still have activity to this day. So, and then Tristan with the audio from there. So I, who knows? Mm. Well, you know, we talked to, to Paul Graves and I was skeptical about just how much exposure that area got to people or got from people. And, uh, but Paul was, he was telling us, he's like, well, you have to look at it like, Maybe that's what's bringing them here. Maybe they have all this wilderness. They have countless springs, ponds, water sources, acres and acres of food that's readily mm-hmm. available. And maybe the only thing that keeps them coming out of the woodwork and having these encounters is they're interested in the people that are paddle boarding or kayaking or swimming in the lake. You know, they come in all different shells of, you know, camper and and tents and and you know, people could just be an interesting thing for something that's, you know, been in, you know, deep wilderness its whole life. And that's the only exposure because these things aren't going to tra- traverse to Seattle and take a look at the people, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, a human zoo, you know, you get these parking lots and these, and this lake access, you know, and some of these camping areas and then just wilderness. So something could come in, into the the edge the fringe of human dwelling and just take a look and if mm. they get spotted then they're going into miles and miles of square square mileage of just endless wilderness so there's never really a compromise for them to take a look at something interesting in our human world and then get out yeah you know he's, then- he's like I, i'm not i'm not going to be able to follow anything if i see something at the edge of camp right now it's going to take off through the woods and I'm not going to catch up to it with all that deadfall and everything else. Yeah. I mean, well, that, it's, it's... that made sense to me. It was, you know, they don't have a, a problem peering in and then if things get sketchy going home. Well, I won't say too much, but one of our friends, Stevie, he said he saw something. Oh, wow. And it got away. Um, but, and then we kind of went in there looking, you know, trying to see if it, we could find it again. And then what we were thinking is like, it is, like Ron said, it's thick in there. I mean, sometimes it can get really thick. So <laughs> especially at night, if you see something, you're not going to be able to chase after it up through these, this hill and trees where there's deadfall. That's going to be impossible, even with a light on it. Right. Um, and what I think is, I do think the reason there is activity too is because where our camps are, it's like butted up against this mountain okay. where it, there's a pretty good line of sight from our camp to like a ridge. That's pretty clear. So anything could be up there watching from down there. And then that's like, as like, I mentioned that and Paul's like, yeah, I think that's where they're coming from. They're coming from down there and coming back up, you know, they're just going back and forth. And then, because wow. the way bumping Lake is, it's kind of a whole, in the whole bowl type area. So anything could be on the ridge all the way around the lake and see everything clear as day. Mm. I was going to ask you, um, did the fact that there were tons of people there as opposed to California, where there's definitely not as many people there, did that affect the way that you did uh, Bigfooting in that location at all? Or is it pretty much the same, same way? Um, it's, we didn't really go out as much. I think we stayed more in camp this okay. time, kind of like what we did in Iowa. Um, but I will honestly say it does affect the way you do 
research because mm-hmm. if there's a lot more people around you go out like making calls and someone's calling back is like is that a person or a bigfoot sure. and that's the issue you gotta fight when you're out in a public area like that so i think doing knocks it travels decent you know it travels a decent amount of you know space or length or where square mileage or whatever you want to say so anything within earshot of that's going to knock back is either a human or bigfoot so i mean it, either way you still got to contend with people messing with you mm-hmm. that's true because there's probably other bigfooters there in that location that's, that's exactly it's big time right. yeah. yeah yeah uh sounds like it's easier to get into as opposed to the bluff creek location where it's like you could your your trailer could fall off into the woods and catch on fire or whatever. Well, I mean, it's easy to get into Bluff Creek. You just have to have good tires. Okay, yeah. But it's just more isolated in Bluff Creek. No, really only Bigfoot. I think Bluff Creek is one of those areas that you really have to know where you're going to get into because mm-hmm. Bumping Lake is so popular. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I can, what do you think, Ron? Um, I definitely think that uh, Bumping Lake is a little bit easier. The roads, even this, the rougher roads aren't as bad, at least the section mm-hmm. that we were driving on. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's It seems like an easier trip in there. Yeah, because um, because you have to like with with Bluff Creek, and I don't know. And in, in, is it there also? There's like a national park not too far. Yeah, from Bumping Lake, right? That's I feel like that's where a lot yeah. of people are coming from. You're coming from the national park, and then obviously, like during the summertime, Bumping Lake is a huge destination area for mm, you know boaters okay. and stuff. Yeah, and, and it has the like, amenities, whereas like Bluff Creek, uh, you have to. Okay. You have to kind of get out there, and you're in. There's nothing that's paved or anything like that. You can't get um, a camper trailer out there. There's no like nice bathrooms like there was at Bumping Lake. There's okay, you know. Um, and so that that's the nice thing again about Bluff Creek is there's different camp areas in the area you can go to that probably won't have people even in the summer, surprisingly. And so the only people that you're really going to run out in Bluff Creek are either locals that know the area really well or mm-hmm. other bigfooters and even then it's still pretty low on people coming out there even in the summer so that's why i like bluff creek so much because it still has this, all this activity it's rich rich in history and there's not that many people that go out there even on an annual basis gotcha whereas gotcha. like bumping lake i was surprised like there's a ton of people here hmm. it was almost disappointing in a way i was like man but you know what it's still it's still, i wouldn't I'm not going to say it's it doesn't have activity. I think it does, but just depends on when you go. Sounds like you still had some interesting uh, things happen there, and we'll have to we'll have to see what what that stuff is when the uh, the Washington episode uh, releases. But w- before we head on uh, to the last stop, which would be Idaho, anything else that we wanted to throw in about Washington before we head to that last stop? I don't know. I'm wrong. <laughs> Washington's always been kind of a, a weird state for for me because it it has a lot of unique 
historical and land landscape type attributes. Um, when I went up to there in 2018, you know, they had the the lava flow. You know, mm-hmm. I was around the Mount St. Helens area, and they have like the lava tubes. And some people think that that's you know Bigfoot dwellings up there. Um, when we were driving in to Bumping Lake, we encountered an old abandoned mine that um, was right by the highway, but there's tons of abandoned mines throughout the Pacific Northwest. And there's quite Mm -hmm. a few in Washington. And I just think, you know, here's, here's a couple of other things, you know, you're in a volcanic area, there's hot springs in some of these areas, you know, there's so many other aspects about that Washington environment that you don't get in somewhere like Bluff Creek. And so now you're thinking like, well, are these additional things that something like Bigfoot could take advantage of? You know, is, mm. is Bigfoot living in lava tubes or living in an abandoned mine somewhere? Uh, is it is it you know thermal regulating its body temperature in the winter by hanging out in hot springs? You know, just similar to um, Asian snow macaques. You know, oh, sure. it's it's just one of those things when you're thinking about adaptability in an animal and behavioral changes. Um, Washington definitely introduces a lot of new characteristics and a lot of new arguments or, or ideas towards how something like Bigfoot could survive out there versus an area that doesn't have those potential resources. Hmm. That's very interesting. The man, I'm going to be thinking about the, the, uh, the, the snow macaque thing that it's, <laughs> That's an interesting idea. I like that. I've been thinking about that for a while. Before actually. I move on to from Washington, I joined the rank of car being destroyed. Not nearly as bad as Ron's. Mine didn't die. Oh, I don't. Did I hear about this? Um, I don't think I heard about that. That's the reason. Well, so we were going to go. Ron and I were just going to hang out and have a, just a relaxed day on Bumping Lake and take some beers in our kayaks out there. Nice. So I had my inflatable one that was deflated and I had it in the back. And then I did not care to want to put that heavy, ridiculous kayak of Ron's on top of the roof racks and tie it down. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'll just open the window and then put it, you know, the kayak in the back to the tailgate. And then I was backing up, leaving camp. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I heard like a, it's like, what the heck? (laughs) <laughs> I look over at Ron. Ron's like, he's making this face. And I get out, and my window is all over the ground, in the bed of the truck, on the, you know, the shell of the truck, too. <laughs> and I get out there, and I, you know, sweep some of it out. We get out to where we're going to park and kayak, and I'm still sweeping out glass and taking pieces out of my kayak, and glass was all over Ron's kayak. It was a mess. So that's wild. Yeah, it's stuff happened on this trip for sure. <laughs> At least nobody got hurt. <laughs> yeah, that that's the crazy thing. Uh, through this whole thing, again, no one got hurt, which is the the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, Except so our cars. Yeah, cars. Well, cars cars can be replaced, you know. But uh, Tate and Ron, no, they can't be replaced. So yes, let's talk about uh, the last stop. Heading, starting to head back east, but uh, where'd you guys uh, go to in Idaho? If you can share that, we went to two different areas in Idaho. Um, 
And I think both areas we had something happen too. Oh wow. Um, we I'm trying to remember I can't remember the names of the places. Jonathan knows that one. Um but yeah, we Jonathan had an area and then the thing was we kind of made plans. Ron and Jonathan had to help me a little bit out on gas because I was so freaking broke I couldn't afford. Yeah. But luckily it worked out and I still owe them deeply. I owe them a case of beer with some money on top. And I think I, I ate probably fifty fifty bucks worth of burgers that you cooked over the well, course you, of the there trip. There you go. There you and, go. And and then yeah. probably a hundred bucks worth of beer. <laughs> yeah, we I I, I give a lot away a lot of my food. I'm like, here you guys want some burgers? So but yeah, we went to a couple areas. Um definitely places I want to check out when I go back there. Okay. I know that's for sure. Um the second the first place we went to was cool. Uh I I I looked up on Google Maps I was like this place looks cool. So we went there and we had something potential happen and then we packed up camp and went to another place the next night. And then possibly had some stuff happen i don't want to say right and then i would say for me that was probably the highlight of the trip because what we got to do we went to idaho state university really early well, why morning. would you go to why would you go to idaho state university out of all the universities in the world why would you go there i don't understand i don't know Ron, uh, we'll never say, tell we'll never tell <laughs> do you want to say why ron There's can, a, can we yeah I don't, hey, it's to see see our personal pal uh, Jeff Meldrum. Oh yeah, dude, Doctor Meldrum, man. Yeah, I dude. love it. Oh, so that's gonna we, be awesome. We got to go meet with him and show him some stuff we found. So that'll be interesting. Um, we kind of came up to an interesting conclusion about what we found there um, in the in the lab. Something that Ron and it was mainly I think Ron and Meldrum that kind of came to that conclusion, but. Well, we'll see. Um, Gonna have we'll to wait see. and see all all the all the stuff about that for sure. Yeah. So that the the second night there in Idaho was pretty rough because we had to leave. What did we leave at five five fifteen? Because it was a six hour drive from Boise, Idaho, to Pocatello, where Meldrum was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was crazy. It was. <laughs> it was. Was it that far? Six hours? I think so. We we had to wake up early because the thing was. We yeah, and we didn't get there till like one or two, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, it was six hours, six and a half, something like that. Yeah, so we woke up early. We packed we had everything packed up and this was crazy. The the first spot we went to, when we got to our second spot and we got all set up, we were gonna hang out, we were gonna get ready to cook food. Jonathan was like, dude, I can't find my thermal. He looked through oh, his no. car. <laughs> like six seven eight times we went through bags and suitcases and nothing so and also we were trying to set up the the bug net too and we couldn't find the other pole that so jonathan left camp and drove about what's it 30 minutes one way 35 to the other spot and then drove back and he's like dude i found it (laughs) he holds it up oh man and we were like well, that's a relief. So, it, it ended, up, ended up being a good, good time. Nothing, nothing like that. N- nothing major was lost except for our window in a car. Mm. 
There you go. Oh, there you I like go. how you just just my window just and whatever. Ron's entire vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing at all. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna throw in a question here from Alex, oh. uh, who had to jet out a while ago, but uh, uh, his question back then was, "Which of the locations you guys visited this summer did you like the most?" Oh, this summer hey i feel like uh he's he, he wants me to say alaska because oh. alaska was pretty awesome um that's true you were involved with stm for that weren't you yeah yeah oh my goodness yeah okay, let's was, take a was... search for sabe then <laughs> yeah. um for this you know what bluff creek continues to surprise me um, no, because it gets such a shifting alaska. cast of characters of people that you know i i really am feel fortunate to meet in the Bigfoot community. You know, Bluff Creek is that, that magnetic pull to anybody that's serious about the subject mm-hmm. and getting to meet such a great group of people there. But then the potential in that area is really good. And, you know, even those outlying places, like that spot that I did a solo investigation with Bandit just the night before um, really blew me away because it had some some interesting things happen. With the both times I had visited there, you know, so I think that's maybe, you know, maybe we're going to make more of an effort next year since we spent each night in the central Bluff Creek area. We might Mm -hmm. spend next year dedicating a couple of overnights to the outer Bluff Creek areas of that Klamath range. Yeah, Um, there's a a few areas I want to go to. I would like to check out Ron's area. And then, yeah, there's a spot that I've been to a couple of times. I want to check out. I want to go back to Twin Lakes, camp there a couple nights. Um, that's another good spot that has good activity. Um, and that's kind of on the outer edge of Bluff Creek. Um, Ron, you can totally say Alaska. It's totally a same thing. He- <laughs> well, if we're talking about the Sabe series, yeah, um, yeah. Bluff, Bluff Creek's probably my go-to, but but that Maybe. little area before was really, it really stood out and surprised me as an area that has no reports, but had a personal thing happen, you know, four years ago. And then as a follow-up investigation for just, you know, my peace of mind, uh, I had something else happen. You know, I'll probably, I, you know, I could just say it here. It's not too in-depth or anything. No and it's not going to be part of Tate's film. Yeah. But um, I, I had what I thought was a stump and, and it got up and moved. And then it got oh. weirder on that trip four years ago. Because Bandit, you know, who's been here with me the whole time. Bandit, what's hey, up? Bandit. Yeah, um, buddy. He, he started growling at something along the trail the following day. And in the middle of the night, I thought I heard a couple of wood knocks. And so this area had been kind of on my head. And I didn't even tell anybody really about it. And I was just kind of thinking about it over the course of the months that happened afterwards. And I was like, I may have had a sighting and just didn't really process it fully. And so I went back finally. I was like, I got to check this spot out. And so the stump that I thought I was looking at, there was no stump in that on that shelf below the trail. And I tried to walk and I, I recreated this, you know, effect and did it on camera saying, okay, there's a root ball over here. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened was I was, as I was walking, you know, a, a tree would get in the way and it would break the line of sight. And, and I explained that, you know, what I was looking at changed in stature 
and then later was gone. And I used that root ball as a comparison as, um, as I was walking. But then I said, well, I'm here. I might as well do an investigation of some kind. You know, this was in the middle of the day. This was like a, a 10, 30, 11 in the morning hike. And um, I went to do a wood knock. And as I lined up the knocker on the tree, um, before I could pull back and strike, I had it lined up. And then I heard a knock down there just below oh, the shelf man. where I had seen the stump. And, yeah, that was weird. And I heard a, a couple of other knocks that day. Um, getting out of my vehicle and moving something out of the road, or, or I think I was trying to spot an animal, like a little thing that scurried along the the road, and I tried to get out and film it. But when I got out of the car, I heard a knock up the ridge, and um, it's it's just an interesting spot uh, along a, a seldomly used recreational trail somewhere in the Klamath Mountains. Mm. It's about three and a half hours from Bluff Creek, and um, yeah, I'm trying to get Tate and, and company to Dude, go there and investigate rocking. it with me yeah. maybe next year. I, I definitely want to go there. And what's crazy is um, I think a couple couple days to the last day we were going to be in Willow Creek, Ron was actually going into Bigfoot days and then from Bigfoot days to that spot. Well, I was going to go to a different spot, another spot. So, okay, you're going to head in that general area? Yeah, well, no, it's a, this is, see, is the other thing. This is another spot not close to um, the Bluff Creek epicenter um, that I was going to visit from uh, 12 years ago, back in 2010, my first trip out. And that was, I had heard knocks from three different locations oh, that's right. at a trailhead. Yeah. So wow. there's a couple of like nature trails that just designated wilderness area. They're minimally maintained for backpackers' convenience, and it's still in the middle of Bigfoot country and Bigfoot territory. The, the thing is, is you didn't have John Green and DeHinden go and mm-hmm. get in newspapers from a cast that they made. Right. You know, there's not a, a big blow-up from you know Jerry Crew in 1958 um, or the Patterson-Gillett film. There's something out there in some of these other areas, but mm-hmm. you've never had the Bigfoot experts leave Bluff Creek, essentially. Wow. And so so I think that's where we want to shift focus is go to some of these unmentionable spots because they have you just guys as much gotta, potential of getting fresh evidence. You guys put a, them on a, the map. Yeah, it's in that greater area. So, I mean, it's I consider it the whole – I consider Bluff Creek as in this giant, almost oval-shaped, you know, area of wilderness that has activity. And then to answer the question here, Bluff, yeah, Creek, go ahead. Yeah. Bluff Creek is always my spot. I mean, even if I was to go to Alaska that year or whatever, even if it was part of the series or what, regardless, I think Bluff Creek is always my spot because mm. it's, like I said before, it's unique. You can go to different areas and be away from other Bigfooters going in there. And there's not a lot of people going in there. So it's, it's for, it's for how popular it is, there's not that many people, surprisingly. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's in my opinion, yeah, Bluff Creek is really popular, but it, it's my go to. It's what got me into the whole subject. Of, of course, I know it's an extremely special place for you, Tate, definitely from everything you told me. Um, I have one more question I'm going to bring in from the chat. Um, before I do that, are there any uh, final last words that you guys wanted to say about Idaho before we address this this final question? You do what? Any final words about Idaho? You do you do what? 
I what? Oh, okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have one. I have one little caveat. I will throw in there. Um, I think. I think it's it's going to be fairly apparent that you know we were blown away by getting to meet Meldrum, hearing what right. he has to say, cross referencing his understanding mm. with our um, discoveries, and but even just the the field. I'd been dying to get out to Idaho and do some overnight squatching. And, and I just want to say, I was kind of blown away with just the, a couple of things involving the first night, just Tate's intuition and saying, Hey, we should check out this spot, which was really just like a roadside, like, like a, a, a curb on the side of a mountain road where we set up our, our cars and tents and camped out and stuff. But um, we pulled a little bit of interesting audio from there, and we'll go into detail. But nice. um, uh, and then from there, we just found like fresh bear tracks. I think um, I think there were deer. I, I can't remember. Did we have elk tracks or something out there? It was I just, think there was. Yeah. It was just a it was just a random spot, and it, the things that were happening were really interesting. So it was cool to be there and just kind of spur of the moment last like just a decision sudden decision just seemingly impulsive and then all of a sudden like hey what's going on you <laughs> yeah, know yeah it was that was really cool how that turned out and that just kind of it's just one of those things it's the ongoing mystery when you're bigfooting and you just kind of mm-hmm. it's it's more of an awareness of what's around you but you'll be surprised where the evidence starts to show itself Yes. And it could be in yes. the most unsuspecting areas. Like, yeah, it, it had the area like we looked at. I was just looking on Google Maps and I was like, this area looks like it could be good. It's in the mountains. The reservoir is not too far. There's creeks nearby. It's wilderness. So let's try it. And you would think, I mean, it it's kind of dry, like where I had my thermal video sighting. But my, if my thermal video sighting says anything, it says that there's Bigfoots and weird areas that you wouldn't think they would be in. Mm. I mean, there you go. It, it, you wouldn't think like, but they're there. <laughs> so that's right. Uh, let's go to is interesting. Last question from Gilbert. Uh, I really want to go squatching. Is there a database where I can see if there are any local clubs in my area? I have a few ways to answer this, but I'm curious to n- see if you guys have some ideas as well. What's he mean by clubs? I think uh, what he's asking maybe is how do I find other people I can go squatching with? You got to be careful on that one. That's the thing, right? Um, I'm not saying everybody's like a lot of these people on these, you know, Facebook groups, they're, they're kind of, they're trolls. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but like, if you really want, just reach out to one of us here or Bluff Creek project, or um, we can point in the right direction for sure. We probably, between all of us collectively, we know a ton of people throughout the, the U S we can recommend, but uh, no, there's not really a database. No, there's not one idea I had was you can go to uh, BFRO and they do have expeditions every year. You can sign up for, uh, they do cost money, but you know, you're going with people that know their stuff. And, um, 
you're going to walk away with a, a ton of knowledge and in, in practical learning. So that's one thing to check out too. Yeah. Um, um, like I said, just reach out to one of us and point you in the right direction. Um, I will say that um, there's, I think social media is a kind of a tool if you know how to use it. Um, there's, you know, if you Google in Facebook or something or, or Instagram or something, if you get in the search bar and you say, hey, my state, Bigfoot, um, there's going to be a group. There's going to be a Bigfoot group or page mm-hmm. for uh, Tennessee Bigfoot, Kentucky Bigfoot, um, Iowa Bigfoot. And, and so you can follow those, um, especially if they're a page that you just like, you know, then you don't have to get notified. You don't have to notify anybody that you're following it. Um, but I would say follow them. And then if it's just like the material kind of seems off, you could always just break that tie. Um, if they're, if they're publishing weird posts or things, um, if you feel comfortable, you know, contact them, ask for more information, but, uh, you can still end up in a situation where, Oh, you know, these guys, you know, they're, they're big on guns, but not gun safety. And I'm out here with a bunch of armed Bigfooters that are pointing their barrels every time a, a stick breaks. And half the time it's when another person takes a step. So I've, I've been in situations where I felt kind of unsafe with Mm. armed individuals. And then uh, to contrast that, I've been in situations where armed individuals feel make, you know, that I'm glad they're there. There's a place of security. So it's not like an anti-gun thing, but, but there's, you'll find yourself in a variety of different cultural environments when you're out there in the woods with other people. Sure. And you just want to make sure that you're not going to be in an unsafe or, uncomfortable mm-hmm. environment um i will say that yeah like at this point me and tate you know we've we've been around to enough different states we if you had any interest let's say you live in the southeast i know somebody maybe not for every state but somebody that has part jurisdiction over part of it you know so like i could say well i don't know let's maybe contact lyle blackburn who can mm-hmm. point you in a direction of you know, maybe he knows somebody in South Carolina that knows more or, you know, you just get in the circuit. You start exactly. asking questions and, and we'll find somebody um, that we can we can hook you up with. But Bigfoot clubs and groups are, are difficult. Um, <laughs> if you really want to get in a group that you you want to meet the people in, in person and and kind of judge their character before you head out into the woods, I recommend a conference. Uh, the Bigfoot conferences, you know, you can kind of when you sit down and you eat lunch with somebody at a VIP mm-hmm. dinner and you get to speak with them for an hour or two hours, then a lot of times you can say, oh, that's not somebody I want to be in the woods with. <laughs> or, hey, I, I trust this person, you know, like, let's, you know, sure. let's uh, let's go out and, and do a couple hours of squatching somewhere, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think for me, that was kind of the two different ways is I, I met a few people through social media. And got a couple of leads from there, but that's usually for my benefit as a solo investigator. Um, the conferences is where I, and 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 camps like where I met Tate were the places where I started to you know film, form gotcha. those um, alliances, you know, to go out and do investigations as a group. 
That's some really smart advice. At the end of the day, know the person that you're going out with if you can and always think safety for sure. Um, guys, we are, we are about, I think we're at the end. We're at about an hour and a half. We're doing good. Uh, but I want to give you the chance so that, uh, if people, cause this is going to be on the podcast too, if people like, uh, listening to you, how can they keep up to date with what you're doing? If you want to plug anything, uh, any final thoughts, this is the time to do it. Tate, go ahead. Okay. Um, on you. Well, my YouTube channel, uh, Tate Hieronymus, T-A-T-E-H-I-E-R-O-N-Y-M-U-S. Just my name. So that's type that in and you'll find me. Uh, That's where my new series is going to be on. So go subscribe there. Also, Bluff Creek Project Podcast is the other one I do. And my other podcast, I'm just kind of doing whenever. One Strange Podcast. Which is a fun uh, interview uh, podcast about other, maybe some other stuff, which is interesting. Yeah. It's it's worth checking out, definitely. It's pretty fun. Ron, what you got going on? What you got going (laughs) on? Right now, I just got the Facebook page, um, Trailing Giants, and that's that's going to be where I post a lot of my other content if I ever do any, like uh, writing or, or fo- photo post or something. Or, you know, that's where I put a lot of my photos and, and write-ups of investigations. So if I spend the weekend somewhere in the north woods of Wisconsin and take 30 photos of, of a trip and and you know, I'll do a text write up of what I kind of discovered along the way. And, um, that's where a lot of my stuff is. I do have a YouTube channel, but it's just Ron Reed, uh, R O N R E A D. Um, I'm, I don't really want to, I don't advertise it too much cause I'm, I'm not active on it right now. I'm in the process for this final quarter of the year of, um, of splitting my content into two separate channels. So okay. I'm, I'm planning on, um, having a channel specifically for long distance hiking and backpacking trips and just nature, you know, recreational nature type stuff. And then the Bigfoot and unexplained type stuff in a whole nother channel. And I'm still working on the titles for that. I'd, hopefully I get to keep trailing giants for the YouTube channel. And um, that's kind of my idea is to split it. So any of that stuff will be kind of communicated on my my profile and then on, um, on the Facebook, uh, trailing giants page, you know, so hopefully I'll have a little bit more solid information, but I'm kind of in the middle of a transitional period. Cool. I'm sitting on a bunch of content that I need to get out there. Um, and I got plans to start on that soon. So awesome. Uh, even though he wasn't here, uh, you definitely want to follow Western Bigfoot exploration, our friend, Jonathan Easley's channel, uh, that really, if you look at all the content from all those different places, it really puts the whole story together. His stuff is amazing. Uh, of course, I'm uh, Jeremiah from Bigfoot Society. If you like interviews with people in the cryptozoology field, all over the stuff, uh, not just Bigfoot, but a lot of Bigfoot, definitely uh, BigfootSocietyPodcast.com. And uh, if you want to get involved with a really cool community and see a lot of extra uh Uh, content about the Iowa episode, uh, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society for $7 a month. But uh, thank you so much, Tate and Ron, for coming on. It's been a fun chat. 
uh, as always. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, guys. And listeners, thanks for l- watching live. And I uh, appreciate you guys asking questions. And uh, have a good night, everyone. Later. <laughs> Hold on. Thanks for listening to the Bigfoot Society podcast. Please take a few minutes to review the show on iTunes five stars as it does help us get into the eyes and ears of more listeners on iTunes. Uh, That will help us just get bigger and bigger and get even better quality guests for future shows. Uh, Also, if you have any Bigfoot encounters or cryptid encounters, please send your stories and Uh, audio and photos, whatever you've got over to BigfootSociety at gmail.com. If you'd like to become more involved with Bigfoot Society and get some extra content, we do have a Patreon uh, where you can get all sorts of cool things. For example, for $7 a month, you get extra Bigfoot Society content, uh, usually interviews, but other things as well. You get a sweet membership card and a vinyl sticker that I send to you in the mail. You get access to the Bigfoot Society after show, which is an extra interview after the main interview with the weekly guest. And usually they are up for uh, Patreon members to be in that extra show segment with them and me. And you get to ask your uh, question live to them and get an answer from the guest, which as you've seen what guest we've had in the past, this could be a really big deal. There's also a private discord where you can get involved with uh, talking to me one-on-one and the community there. And that's always a great time. You can find the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot society. Uh, we're very thankful for all our supporters that we have in so many different ways and appreciate uh, all our listeners coming back week after week to listen to more cryptozoology-based interviews. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.